You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, good morning. Great to see you. Great to see some people I haven't seen in a while. And I just wanted to, before we get into the text, I just wanted to uh, encourage you, if you haven't already yet uh, learned about and given to our upcoming mission uh, fundraiser, The Plunge, you might think, like, this is weird, and I don't want to be involved in this weird thing. Why are we doing this? So in case you weren't here the first time uh, I announced it, why are we plunging, there's 17 of us who are going to plunge for one minute uh, into uh, a hole three feet deep into in uh, the lake over there? Why are we doing that? Like that seems a little excessive. Why don't we just raise money? Because it's one thing to raise money, but it's another thing to go through some suffering to raise some money. And so uh, some people are going to go into some freezing cold water and they're going to endure a minute of suffering. And it might be the hardest suffering that some of them have ever had to go through uh, because it's uncomfortable. But what is it reminding us of? It's reminding us that for a lot of people, a lot of our brothers and sisters, uh, approximately 360 million of them, according to Open Doors, their suffering is daily. And there isn't an end. And so when they climb out of that water, there's going to be warm blankets and a fire and warm drinks. But for a lot of our brothers and sisters, there isn't going to be that relief. And so we're bringing attention to ourselves, us who are going to the water, that, hey, this is just a little bit of suffering to raise money, to feed uh, our brothers and sisters who have had to flee from their homes, have had to flee and are sleeping on the ground with no aid, no relief. And so that's why we're doing it. And so I want to encourage you, we're at like $3,800 out of the 5000 that we hope to raise. And if we get 40 people who give $25, that will bring us to the $5,000 limit. And then Len Veach tells me that his wife, Carla Veach, has volunteered to get in the hole with us and endure the suffering. And so I would really like to see that. And so I want to just encourage you <coughs> in that. And we are going to videotape it and we're going to show it the next Sunday, like a lot of the, the faces when the people get in, because it's classic. First time somebody's been in ice cold water, the look on their face. So I'm going to look forward to it. I hope you are. Well, if you haven't already, pick up your Bibles, reach to the seat in front of you, and pick up a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 to 4 in our series, God, the Gospel, and Our Response. We've got three more sermons after this, and then we're going to be taking a look at the issue of money for a few weeks. Just as we did last week, this week I'm going to break this down into three sections. First, I'm going to give you a sort of the history of the world, or not a history of the, the, the backdrop of Paul's writing about parenting and, and children, what, just like what was the world like. Then I'm going to give a message to youth or to children, uh, those who are still under the authority, and also to adult children uh, who have a responsibility to honor parents. And then I'm going to give a message to parents, whether you are parenting a child, parenting a youth, or, parent, or you are uh, a parent of a grown adult. And what can we say about the 
parent-child relationship. Except that it's the next most important human relationship we have after our relationship with our spouse on this earth. It is a long relationship. Sometimes it's longer than our spousal relationships. It, it is the second greatest opportunity for us to share and demonstrate the gospel to these little ones, the love that God has given us to these little ones. It's challenging. It's refining. It, it's always changing. And yet there's some parts of it that always stay the same. It will bring out the best of you, and it will bring out the worst in you. It is both an honor and a gift and sometimes a very painful relationship. And so Paul has been writing this letter, the Ephesians. Remember, it's not, it wasn't broken down into verses and chapters. It was a letter to the Ephesian church in about the era of 60 A.D. And he has been encouraging them that the gospel changes everything. Everything about life changes when you receive the gospel. It changes how you and God relate to each other, how he looks at you. It changes how Christians uh, respond to each other. We no longer look at each other from class or race um, or sex. We look at each other as equally valuable members of the body of Christ. It changes how we relate to the world and the things that God says are, are not of him. It changes how we relate, as we talked about last week, to our spouse. And now he's going to keep on going and he's going to encourage that it changes the way that a parent and a child relate to each other. The gospel changes everything. That's Paul's message. And so let's just ask God to help us wherever we are. Lord, there are uh, many people here who are listening who are in different phases of their life. There are some who have uh, never had children. There are some who are parenting young children, some youth, and some who have adult children. Uh, There are some who who have good relationships with their parents, Lord, and there are some who have horrible relationships with their parents. Lord, I pray that you would help us to examine the way that we we look at these two relationships, uh, as child to parent and as parent to child, and that we would uh, bring those relationships under the authority and under the relationship Uh, that you have given us, that we would bring the gospel into them. In Jesus' name, amen. What was the world like 1,962 years ago? The world that Paul was writing this in. Specifically, what was it like for children in that time? Because it was very, very different, and we have to understand the context so that we can get just how revolutionary the words that Paul was speaking were especially to parents if the christian faith did much for women as we looked at it just how a life of a woman back in 60 ad was so different than it is today then it did so much more for the life of a child if there was a word that would uh, explain what the typical uh, life of a child would be in 60 ad it would probably be perilous dangerous hostile, brutal. These are all words that uh, might uh, bring together the situation. There was something in the Roman world called Patricia uh, Postius, which meant the legal powers and rights of a Roman father over his children and descendants by virtue of his position as husband or as father. 
Under Roman uh, law, a father had absolute authority over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could put them to work in the fields in chains. He could punish them however he felt the need. He could even inflict the death penalty upon his children. Uh, His power didn't just end at 18. No, a, a father had power over his children all through his life. Whether they were an official in the Roman uh, army or or in the Senate, it didn't matter. The father had absolute authority over his even adult children's lives. This was the way it was. Another custom in this world that Paul was writing to was called child exposure. It was a tradition that when a child was born, he was taken and placed at the feet of the father. If the father stooped down and picked up the child, then it meant that the father was accepting that child into the family. But if the father uh, looked at the child and then turned away and walked away, it meant that that child was not to be welcomed into the family and in essence thrown away. We, we see this uh, from historians, one of the many uh, letters that was uh, recovered uh, from the first century AD when Paul was writing to the Ephesians was one between a husband and a wife, Hilaron to his wife, Alice. I'm going to just uh, read you a little bit of it. Hilaron to Alice, his wife, with greatest greetings. And to my dear son, Belarus and Apollinaron. Know that we still, even now, are in Alexandria. When the others return, I will remain in Alexandria, but I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive our wages, I will send them to you. If good luck comes to you and you have a child, if it is a boy, let him live. If it is a girl, throw it out. You told Apollos to tell me, Do not forget me. How could I forget you? I beg you, therefore, do not worry. This letter just gives us a glimpse into the strange world that Paul was writing to. You can see in it, he's he's talking affectionately to his wife. And they're talking casually about when he's going to return from his work in Alexandria and the wages. and, and, And so casually about how if it's a boy, keep it. And if it's a girl, throw it out. This was the world. Uh, William Barclay, a uh, uh, historian and Christian who's now dead, tells us that unwanted children were left in uh, the forum, which was the, the center part of a city, the marketplace where people would come and debate or, or they would come and, and, and share religious views or they would argue, um, they would sell their goods and so on and so forth. Children were left in the forum and to become the property of anyone who picked them up. They were usually collected at night and nourished in order to be sold as slaves or to be put in the stocks of the brothels in Rome. The ancient world had no mercy for sickly or deformed children. Seneca, the first century philosopher who was alive at the time when Paul was writing, we we quoted him last week when he talked about the marriage relationship. He writes this, and this this is harsh. But I need you to understand the context of the world. We slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into sickly cattle lest he taint the herd. And children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. This was the world 
Paul was introducing the gospel and the parent-child relationship. He redefined and rewrote the marriage relationship just before this. And now he is bringing continuing thoughts of just how different the parent-child relationship is to be. Just how revolutionary. Jesus broke all the customs when he welcomed the little children to, to sit on his lap and crawl around him and touch him and be in his presence. So much so that he goes to say, if anyone gets in the way of, of a little child coming to me, it'd be better that he had a rope tied around his neck and thrown in the lake. He loved and cherished little children. And now Paul carries on that thinking. That everything changes, especially when it comes to the way a parent treats a child. And so we pick it up. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. I want to address you children, uh, both youth who are in the room and adults. Obedience, well, and when we become an adult, we are no longer under the authority of our parent. There still is an honor aspect to it. But to you youth who are still under the authority of your parents, I want you to note that obedience is an action that brings order to chaos. The life of most children in this world is chaos. And when we're obedient to our parent, it brings order. And it is an action. Obedience is something that you do. And youth, I'm sure you've asked the question, why should I listen to my parents? You know, why should I obey them? They annoy me. They're not always right. Sometimes there's sin. I can see through uh, their hypocrisy. And they don't get the times that we live in. They're really out of touch. Well, you might be right in a sense. Parents aren't always right. They do make mistakes. They are sinful. And, and they probably don't understand the complexities of uh, being a youth in 2022, just as their parents didn't understand the complexities of the world that they were living, just as their parents didn't. But, Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord, that's important, right? When Paul was last week talking about uh, wives, obey your husbands or submit to your husbands, as in the Lord, he's telling us a message uh, that primarily when you're obeying your parents, youth, you are worshiping the Lord. That's what you're doing. As in the Lord, if you would claim to be a follower of Christ or a Christian, when you obey your parents, you're actually primarily worshiping the Lord, secondarily obeying your parents. And so we do it, you do it, as an act of worship to God. Saying, look at me, God, I know my friends are telling their parents where to go, and I know their par my friends are deceiving their parents, but you know what? I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to walk your way. Number two, when you do it, it pleases God. Notice that he says, because this is right. It's the right thing to do. It's the good thing to do. Do you want to be on the side of right, or do you want to be on the side of wrong? Do you want to be on the side of good, or the side of evil? Do it because it's right, and it pleases God. It actually makes him happy. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Paul carries on the same sort of thing, and he has a message to parents too. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. It actually makes God happy. So think about that, youth. When, when you do what your parents ask you, when you do it right away, all the way, and with a good attitude, you put a smile on God's face. He's happy about 
the way you look. He might not be happy about what your parents are doing, but he's happy with you. And I just want you to understand that there is no place in the world and probably no time in history when there has ever been such a large group of young people who are so disobedient to their children. Like, I, I need us to understand that. When there is no place and no time in history when, as we in the West, and the West would mean Canada, the U.S., Europe, Australia, places that were used to be sort of uh, the, the places where Christianity was really strong, uh, that are now post-Christian, there's no place in the world we see where children are as disobedient. Look to the Middle East, look to India, look to Africa, look to Asian, whether it's an authoritarian, uh, a Muslim, or a Hindu, or a Buddhist culture, children are not as disobedient as they are in the West. And when I see the state of uh, young people's relationship with their parents, you know, going back to the 60s and building with veracity to now, uh, it reminds me of something. It reminds me of a warning that actually Paul gave. In the time that he was writing, he also uh, wrote a letter to Timothy. And so if we take this little period of time, this little uh, 60 years or so, and we compare it to the 6,000 years of uh, history of civilization that we see, we see that it's an abnormality. It's not normal. That Paul was writing to Timothy about this time. That's the weird thing. That's the thing that makes me say, stop, wait a second. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and he talks about this time in the future, remembering the culture that I just told you about, the Roman culture, where the Father had absolute authority. And he says, there's going to come a time in the future when it's going to be different. It's, it's, it's going to be an indicator. I'll read it, uh, those first two verses. But understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. And he goes on to list these things. But I want you to just stop there. Disobedient to parents. He wrote that in a time where the parent had all authority where there was nowhere in the world where children just told their parents no. That was unheard of. And he says there's going to be a period of time when a lot of people are going to be doing it. A lot of young people. That's a sign for us. That's an indication that we are in the last period of humanity. And so youth, let me lay it out for you plainly. If you obey your parents, you are worshiping God. You're making him happy. You're a part of building the kingdom of God. But when you rebel against their authority, you're worshiping Satan. You are helping to tear apart a nation and a family. And you are a part of the spirit of the Antichrist. Then he goes on to say, verse 2, honor your father and your mother. Now this is a message not just to youth or to children, but a message to all of us, because we are all children. And so, if obedience is an action, then honor is an attitude and an appreciation. I remember I was uh, at a home once, and having dinner at a church that I used to go to, and there was a boy, I, I can't remember how old he was, let's say he's probably somewhere around 10. And he was at the dinner table standing on his chair, and he was dancing around, and, and his Mother and father asked him nicely, please sit down, because he was really, it was all about him. He was causing a disturbance. And then his father said more sternly, son, sit down. And he looked at him and he scowled, like to say, I'm not listening to you. 
Then the father said, son, sit down. And he did it again. One more time, he stood up and he said something along the lines of, sit down or I'm going to come over there and you're going to regret it. And so the boy sat down. And if it was like it was like he practiced it or something, then he looked and said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm not sitting down on the inside. His attitude, his action was obedience, but his attitude said, I don't care what you have to say. I'm only doing it because I don't want to get hurt. And to Jesus, it's not just whether we do it, but what sort of an attitude do we do it? So why should we honor them, you might say? I hear that sort of thing in the 21st century over here in the West. Well, I just, again, ask you to look at the rest of the world. In Asia, whether it be Japan or China or Korea, honoring a parent is like one of the goals of a child growing up. It's like, how can I honor and bring honor to my parent and, and take care of them in their older ages? That's like something they want to do. It's a life goal. In the Middle East, honoring a parent is almost a competition. Like a son and a daughter will, will get a job or um, marry into a family, and it's like, I want to raise up my parents and elevate them, and I want to do it better than the other son does it or the other daughter does it. It's like a competition. It's, it's, it's strange to us. It was strange for me when I first witnessed it. In Africa, even though there are a, a majority of fathers who abandon their children, children still look up to and highly seek their parents' approval. They want their parents to be proud of them. And so for most of time, honor and respect has been something you just did. It was an expectation. And I can honestly say, from my youth, one of my deepest regrets as a young man, as a, as a we could call it a teenager, even though that's not really a word, a young adult, one of the things I deeply regret and, and feel shame about, even though I know I've been forgiven, is just the disrespect that I gave my mom in those years, in those young adult years. She deserved to be honored, and I didn't honor her. I thought I knew better, and I didn't know better. She raised me. She was the one who did the loving. She's the one who did the care, and I didn't give her that respect and honor. She fed me. She clothed me. She loved me. She listened to me, and yet I didn't. And and then later in my life, I really realized wow, she is worthy of honor and respect because besides her, if she wasn't there, the world would have eaten me alive and spit me out. And I want you to think about that when you're thinking about, I don't want to honor my family and honor my parents and and who are adults. I don't really want to give honor to my mother and father because they weren't very good to me or whatever. Were they there? Did they provide for you? Did they love you? Did they clothe you? Did they feed you? Well, that in and of itself is worthy of some sort of respect and honor. So much so that God makes it a commandment, the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. You know what it costs to raise a typical uh, young person? Uh, The average amount it takes to raise a young person from zero to 18 now in Canada, probably more now in COVID with inflation, but as of 2018, according to Money Sense, not including higher education um, or um, private schools, it's $272,000. So over a quarter of a million dollars to raise a child in 
Canada. So that right there is worthy of some sort of honor and respect. But then think about all the other things your parents have done. All the listening they do. All the loving they do. All the time they spend investing in you. To varying degrees, I know. But still, God says, honor them. And honor is an attitude. An attitude that says, hey, I know you should, you could have walked away. And maybe your parent did walk away, but God still decided that they would be your parent. And so in some basic measure, they are worthy of a basic amount of respect and honor. Jesus really talks about that. He hammers the Pharisees in Matthew uh, 15. The Pharisees, they were corrupt religious people, and, and they were like going around and they're saying, you know, you don't have to follow the fifth commandment. You don't have to really look after your parents in their old age because there was no CPP. There was no pension funds. There was no RSPs in those times. If you couldn't work, you would probably starve. And so a child would be expected to help their parents out to make sure they survive in their older years. But the Pharisees went around and said, you know what? If you dedicate that money that you'd usually give to your parents to help feed them and shelter them, if you dedicate it to the temple, then God's cool with it. And Jesus just hammered them in verses 1 to 9. He's like, you corrupt, evil people, deceiving these people. And so they neglect their parents. How dare you? And these were adults. Like, and he was talking about adults who neglect their parents. Then again, we see it in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to die for the sins of the world. He's in excruciating pain. And what is one of the last things he does? tells us when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved that's John standing nearby he said to his mother woman here is your son then he said to his disciple here is your mother so from that hour this disciple took her in his home one of the last things Jesus wanted to do and he's demonstrating that honor and respect he gave to his mother was to make sure she was taken care of because he was the oldest son it was his responsibility to take care of her and now he wants to make sure and he's demonstrating to us that he honors her as his mother and some of you didn't have good parents I realize that some of you your parents left and that is painful and that is hard. Some of the, you, your parents were there, but they weren't really there. I've struggled with that too. My mother primarily raised me. She was the one who invested the time and the love into me. And my father, well, he was a, a man who genuinely, or most of the time, lived for himself. And I love him, but I can say that honestly. And I've struggled, and I struggled throughout my years because as, as much as my mom invested in me and loved me, um, I never had a man to teach me how to be a man. And so I went into the world, and, and I could have used that. Still my responsibility for what I did. But then when I was about 30, my father got ill, mentally ill. And he went into squalor, living in squalor and poverty. And because he had lived most of his life for himself, he had burnt all his bridges. There was no one left in his life that cared. And so there I was, a new Christian of three years, and I was wrestling with this unforgiveness and this, this hatred towards my father. Why should I help him? Why should I care when he didn't take the time to really be there for us? Until 
One day when I was driving uh, to one of his appointments, and I remember God gave me a different view for my father. He helped me to see the fact that I might have become him, but for the grace of God. That if God had not saved me at 27 and put me on a new path, I might have ended up like him. And so as I wrestled with, and sometimes still do wrestle with, with uh, looking after him, because of what Christ was doing in me, it gave me the mercy and compassion to go and to get him out of that and to get him into a home and manage his affairs for him. And, and it's still a daily process sometimes of forgiveness. But what about you? Are you, even if your parent was not good, if they're still alive, do you give them a basic measure of honor and respect? Are you still holding unforgiveness and hatred towards them? Because if, if so, if you're a follower of Christ, God wants to help you work through that, to forgive them, to show that mercy that the world doesn't show. Then he goes on to say, which is the first commandment with a promise? So that you may go, so that it may go well for you and that you may have a long life in the land. It's a promise that will save you from a lot of grief. You know, youth, the reason why we, we say things, why we ask you to do things, to be obedient, isn't just f- usually for our own personal gain. It's because we don't want you to make a mess of your life. A lot of the times we've made a mess of our lives, and we don't want to see you go through the same thing. We really want you to do well in life. And, and the second reason is because we want God to be on your side. When, when God looks down and sees a man or a woman, uh, a child respecting and honoring and obeying their parent, God gets interested in the life of that child. God is well pleased and proud. And you can know God has got your back. And so that's why it's a promise. There's two promises in that. But now he shifts to the parents. Fathers, and this was the real controversial stuff. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in training and instruction in the Lord. Take this together with all the counsel of of God's word, and you have a revolutionary way of parenting that had not been seen in that culture. And I notice Paul addresses the fathers, right? And we have to be honest. He's speaking to that culture where the father had absolute authority. But let's also be honest that parents, that fathers are usually the ones that are not there. If somebody's not going to be there, it's most likely going to be statistically the father. If somebody's going to even be there but not really be invested in the child, like kind of be there but absent, it's probably the father. If somebody is going to least likely to show love and affection and nurture, it's most likely the father. And so this is a command to, par- to both parents, to mothers, but he specifically wants to get father's attention. So what is he saying? Well, I'll tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying parents never say no to your children. He's not saying when little Bobby has a temper tantrum in the grocery store because he wants that chocolate bar in the aisle, just give it to him and don't say no. He's not saying that. There are enough parents that don't say no to their children anymore, and that's why they're running amok in our society when they grew up, because they've never been told no. And if we don't say no to them in the proper time, then the world will say no to them, and it will be a harsh reality check. No, Paul is talking about the kind of anger that some of you know personally, that deep hurt 
That anger that comes when you've been wounded by someone who is supposed to be there looking after you and loving and protecting you. That anger that comes from careless parenting. And so a few things to keep in mind, and there's some fill in the blanks if, you, if that helps you in your bulletin. Number one, keep this in mind, parents. Whether you're a child, whether you're parenting children, youth, or your children are all grown up. Determine ahead what is going to be a mountain and what is going to be a molehill. Determine in your mind what are the important things that you want to go after and what are the things that you just need to let go. Mountains and molehills. You know, the opposite of a parent who never says no is a parent who always says no. Or a parent who is never satisfied with their child, who is always riding their children for perfection in things that don't really matter. And sometimes I know that I've really failed in this. Uh, where, I've, where I've gotten all wrapped up in things that really don't matter to God, but they matter so much to me, I make more of a big deal with them than the mountains. And what is God most interested in? Our character, right? Our moral character. Our relationship with him and our relationship with other people. That is what God is most important. He doesn't really care the way we eat or the way we do our hair or the style of clothing we dress in, you know, or, or, or if we get 90s in our grades. Like, he's not so big on those things. You can see that in the way he treats his disciples, right? What is he always preaching to them? The deep issues, the mountains. And we as parents need to determine, even our, with our adult children, what are the things we're going to address in them? What are the mountains? What are the moral issues that, that we are going to be unified in? Our children need to know that this is right and this is the way we conduct ourselves. And what are the things that we're going to say that really doesn't matter? And I'm not going to make a big deal of it. Because what I'm sure some of you have experienced is that when you're riding a child all the time, they tend to just stop listening. And so we want their ears with the important things. Paul goes on in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, after he's talked to children, he also talks to fathers. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. That sort of discouraged that says, I can never live up to my parents' expectations, and so I'm just going to stop listening. Don't stir it up into them. Don't build resentment. Don't make every little issue a big issue. But give grace to the small things, but attack the mountains relentlessly. Another thing to keep in mind. Don't forget that just because it's not your way doesn't mean it's not a right way. Another way we can stir up anger in our children or our adult children is thinking that your way is the right way. Oh, we didn't do it that way when I was parenting. Or I would never let my house get the way your house is. Right? Whatever it is. We can sometimes think that just because it's the way we do things, that it's the right way. Right? But every generation has styles and different ways of doing things. Where do we understand the way we are to raise children? Well, we see it primarily from Scripture. Right? The important things. And, and sometimes there's just styles and ways of doing things that it really doesn't matter. And, and if we get down to it, it's, it's mostly just about you being the one who's right. And so remember, just because it's not your way doesn't mean it's the right way. It's a preference. Number three, another way we can not stir up anger in our children is remember that we're called to train them up so that we can let them go. 
Train them up. Paul says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There are some things that you're going to want to decide before your child leaves this, uh, your home, you want them to know. Like essentials to life and faith. You're going to want them to understand the way they can live a, a functioning life in society and the way that they can have a good relationship with God. It's their choice whether they use them and take them and apply them to their lives. But that's what you want them to know. Proverbs says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. When you look at that in its context, it means the way your child was made by God to go. Your child is not just to fulfill your dreams that you never made it to. No, you're to to pray about, to study, to learn your child, and, and help them figure out which way are they to go in life. Uh, a pastor... Uh, once gave me a great example in raising my children. He said that, I want you to picture your children. When they, they're born, right, there's a rope tied to them. Imagine, it's imaginary rope. And when they're born, like the rope is like, they're like there and there's, there's no give. Like everywhere you go, they go, right? They need 100% maximum attention and authority. But as they grow, our job in training them up and letting them go in the world, not trying to parent them when they're 30, not trying to run their lives, is to give them more slack. You're training them. You're getting them ready. You're letting them go out into the world. You're letting them test the things that they've been learning. Sometimes you have to pull it back in a little bit, right? Tighten the rope. But more and more, as they grow, you're to be giving them more and more space, training them in the things So much so that my hope and my desire with my children is that when they leave the home someday is that I want to be able to, figuratively, because we've talked about this, hand them the rope and say, okay, son, daughter, I've done all I can. You're ready. I'm no longer the one with authority over your life, but I'm now your encourager. I'm I'm still your parent, but I'm now there to coach you. I'm there to help you. I'm there to, to... in any way, shape, or form that I can. But it's now your life to live. That is God's purpose for raising children. Not that we in our North American helicopterness would would just hover over them all our life and protect them from every little um, opportunity to be out in the world and like try and keep them and just because if we have a dysfunctional relationship with our spouse, uh, you know, make them like our spouse. It's not that. That is not God's intent. Number four. Don't forget to encourage them more than you criticize them. They will always value your encouragement. Always. Martin Luther said this, used to say this, spare the rod and spoil the child, that is true. But besides a rod, keep an apple in your pocket and give it to them whenever they've done a job well. A famous 18th century painter named Benjamin West tells the story of how he became a painter. He says his mother went out as she would sometimes to the marketplace and left him in charge of his little sister Sally. Well, he, Benjamin, found some bottles of colored ink and began to paint a picture of his sister Sally and made a very big mess. His mother came back and saw the mess but said nothing. She walked over to the paper, picked it up and said, oh, it's a picture of little Sally and went down and kissed him on the head and said, great job. Benjamin would say that whenever anyone would ask him how he got into painting, it was my mother's kiss that made me a painter. 
Encouragement did more than a rebuke ever could. And so don't forget, sometimes you have to criticize and discipline, but don't forget to encourage more. And here's one I uh, came to mind as I was reading uh, yesterday, and so it's not in your bulletin, but it's so important and essential into not stirring up anger, is never play favorites. Right, I was reading Genesis 37 of Jacob, and it says this in verse 3. Now Jacob lived, loved Joseph. Remember Joseph, his brother sold him into slavery, and he became second in command in Egypt. Well, Joseph, he loved him more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made him an ornate robe. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. There are going to be kids, if you have multiple kids, um, whether they're children or adults, and you're closer to them. Like, they're more like you. They like the things you like. They're maybe making better decisions in life. But let it never be the dysfunction of, that we get into, the sort of Joseph dysfunction, where we clearly let one know that we love them more. No, we're called to love them equally. And then they'll have that confidence and that assurance. And number six, last one. Remember that time is short and that we're called to make the most of the time that we have. Time is short, parents. If you're parenting young children, you've got 18 years. You've really got, depending on which experts you listen to, 8 to 12 years that the kid's actually listening to you and when you're instilling in them the values, the core values, right? And you can make money later. You can have a career later. You can do a lot of the things and hobbies that you never did. But that time with those children is so essential and so vital. And you've got to make the most of it. Every day is a day where you can invest in that child, where you can train them up, where you can love them, where you can have compassion on them, encourage them, discipline them. And we have to never forget it. But it doesn't just stop there. Yes, your authority over them is done, but they still need their parents in their lives. They still need, as they're raising their own kids, that encouragement, that relief, that, hey, you're doing a great job. Can I help you? So parents, time is short. Don't give your life and that time to things that are trivial. So in closing, if you're a parent, if you are a child and you're under the authority of your parent, ask yourself, as we go into communion now, am I really obeying and honoring them in the way that God would have me? And if you're a parent, ask yourself, am I really blessing that child? Am I really looking at those children as gifts? Because they are a gift. Oh, if, we have, if you have a child, it's a gift. Don't look at it as just some sort of hindrance. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna, um, Len's gonna come up and he's gonna lead us in communion. This, pull this one over. Well, let's, let's go to the Lord with these things. Well, Lord, I pray that you would help us wherever we are, whether we are under the authority of our parents still, help us to obey. Whether our children, our parents are still alive, help us to honor them and to love them, and to demonstrate to them the love that you have for us, a love that is merciful, a love that is forgiving. And Lord, even if our parents are gone, would you help us to forgive them for the things that they've done that hurt us? Even if we never get to say it to them, would you help us to unload that hurt, that unforgiveness on you? 
And Lord, as parents, would you help us to focus on what really matters and to let the things that are secondary go to the side? Would you help our children to to walk out of their home, out of our home, and know that they were loved and that they saw Christ through their parents? And Lord, if parents are have children that are grown and maybe they look back and realize they didn't do things the way they wish they had. Would you help them to now demonstrate Christ to them? Help them to love and encourage their adult children. Lord, we bring these things to you knowing that you are always willing to help us wherever we find ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.